Good morning. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, and thank you for joining us. If you're in the room or if you're online, just thanks. It's an honor for us to come together and worship God together and learn together. Four months ago, we presented, last September, we presented a teaching series for five weeks called The Third Way. And in that five-week series, uh, we emphasized the fact that we tend to be a polarized nation and culture and even community. We tend to be polarizing. We live in a time when our social and our cable and our online media seem to communicate to us that there's always only two choices. You're either in box one or you're in box two. Um, you're either for or against certain groups of people like truckers or uh, you're for or against blacks or immigrants or gays or the police. You know. Make your choice. You're in box one or box two, and if you're in box one, you have a certain way you should feel about those in box two. You should disagree and dislike those in that other box and attack them sometimes. And that's the lens that a lot of people are getting. And we declared during those five weeks that is not who we are and it's not who we want to be as a congregation. We are not going to be a box one or a box two congregation. If you're looking for that, you're not going to find it here. We believe there's this third way. People tried to put Jesus in a box all the time. Um, Jesus, are you loyal to Rome and are you going to pay taxes? Or are you other than that? Jesus, are you a law follower of the Jewish law? Or are you a law breaker? Which box? One or two? Jesus, are you a Sabbath keeper? Or are you going to heal people on the Sabbath and break it? Jesus, are you one of the religious folks, or are you going to eat with sinners? And what Jesus did over and over and over again was he found a third way, the way of love. Jesus did it over and over again. And then what we discovered during that five-week series was the early church, right after the resurrection for several hundred years, that church did it just like Jesus People tried to put them in a box, and instead they loved their neighbors and their enemies, and they fed the hungry, and they cared for the sick, and they visited the prisoner, and they protected the marginalized, and they taught people to read, and they started hospitals and orphanages and universities. That's what they did. They didn't let people put them in a box. So if we're not a church... Here's, I'm getting to this current message. If we're, if we're not a church that's going to put energy into being box one or box two, then who are we going to be? Great question. I'm glad you asked. We have this series for four weeks to help you know this is who we are. During my 37 years at Orchard, first I came as a youth director and then I got into leadership. During my 37 years, there were times where we grow like crazy, 20% in a year, and there were times where we declined, and there were times where we plateaued. And there were times where we did new and crazy things uh, from some people's point of view. I mean, it was a crazy thing to put a drum set on a stage. It was a crazy thing to move and worship in a gym. It was a, a crazy thing to go to Grundy and start in a theater, movie theater. And right now in Waverly, we're in a strip mall. And so a lot of people call and say, uh, who are you guys? And um, this is what a phone call or an appointment in my office or at the restaurant would go like. I would say this, have you ever heard of the Apostles' Creed? 
And a lot of people would say yes, and a few people would say no, I never heard of that. And I would say, well, go Google it. It's a good summary of what we believe. When some of us were little kids here, Kevin, I'm looking at him, we said the Apostles' Creed every single week before or after the offering was taken. We had it memorized. We don't say it every week anymore, but it's still the center of what we believe. And um, we have not drifted from that core belief at this point. So I would say, if you've heard of it, that's what we believe. And what we do is our mission. And um, for us at this point, um, helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken word are the words we have on our mission. We actually changed that 10 years ago. Changed the words, the mission's the same. Uh, So um, sometimes, though, the people who called me and asked would have more peripheral questions, like a hot-button issue. Well, yeah, but what what do you believe? There was a whole period of time where I got all kinds of calls about the gambling referendum. But where do you stand on the gambling referendum here in Blackhawk County? Remember that? That was a hot-button topic. And some people felt, well, the church has to take a stand on that, or where do you stand on divorce, or where, where do you stand on uh, stores open on Sunday, or where do you stand in women in leadership, or prayer in schools, or where do you stand on homeschooling or public schooling? Where do you stand? We don't. Have you ever heard of the Apostles' Creed? And we have a mission. That's who we are. So it's important to us that you understand who we are, and you have an answer for your neighbor. And it's important to us, as you give money and prayer and effort, that you know who we are. And it's important to us that as we're going to be a third-way church, kind of a big tent, this is important to our future. And uh, it's really important as you choose a church for your family. What church are you going to choose? Really important. So the Apostles' Creed, let's start with that. The Apostles' Creed is a summary of key scriptural truths about God. Jesus, the church, heaven, the Holy Spirit. I think it was written like in 300 A.D., so we certainly haven't drifted much. 300 A.D. to 2022. We still think it's true. We still think it's biblical. Um, Many, many Christian churches uh, uh, have it uh, as a part of who they are. And my job today is to talk about four lines from the Apostles' Creed. But let me uh, say it for you, those of you who, like, didn't grow up in traditional church. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. Now, here's my four lines. We've got a slide on this one. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, let's leave that slide up, even though I'm going to go on and finish it. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and so important to me, life everlasting. Amen. Every phase, every phrase, every line of this creed comes directly from the scriptures. It's a summary about 2,000 years old 
of the scriptures. It's a summary of what the Bible teaches the truth to be about God and heaven and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And in a day when many people in our world think they can make up whatever they want about God, my God would be this. My God would be this. No, you can't make up stuff about God. He's told us in scripture and in the life of Jesus who he is. And it's summarized in this. So let me show you from my four lines, let me show you where it comes from in the scriptures, just so, just so you, you nail this down inside of you. So uh, the first one is, on the third day he rose again. So here's the verse, Matthew 28. The angel said to the woman, this is Easter morning. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Great words here. He is not here. He has risen. On the third day, he rose again. The resurrection is the clearest and most important evidence that supports the belief that Jesus was actually God. This is the evidence that we have that Jesus was God. This is the cornerstone of our faith. If someone were to ask you, why is Christianity your religion of choice? Why? Why not Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or even atheism? Why? Why, why, why? In the conversation, eventually, you would have to get to the resurrection of Jesus. You would have to. It's not a fairy tale. It's part of human history. It happened in real time and place in the Mideast. He was dead and he came back to life and many, many, many witnesses testified to it. And we believe their testimony because of the courage and sacrifice they made to prove it was true. Peter, one night, was afraid to tell a servant girl he even knew Jesus. After the resurrection, what's he doing? He's standing up on a corner in Jerusalem telling a mob of people, Jesus was dead, and he's alive. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. Acts 1. He ascended into heaven. They were looking intently. This is the disciples and a, and a group of people. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. That's unusual. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said... Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. He ascended into heaven, directly from the scriptures. And is seated at the right hand of the Father. Here's the verse, Acts 2. God has raised this Jesus to life. This is actually Peter speaking. And we are all witnesses of it. There it is again. All of us, he's saying. This whole crowd he's talking to. We all saw it. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God. Where is Jesus right now? In heaven at the right hand of the Father. Directly from the scriptures. And is seated at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing there? Glad you asked. He's praying for you. And he's uh, interceding for us. 
And as we're living our life here, he's talking with the Father about his followers who are here. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Somebody said, boy, that's going to be a hard line, Dave. No, I don't think it's hard. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Here's the verse. Uh, it's, uh, well, there's several places, but this is 2 Timothy 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. There's the exact words. He will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom... I give you this charge. Let's go on. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. He's going to judge the living and the dead. One of the values of these scriptural summaries we call the creeds, and there are several of them, one of the values is um, they can keep the church and its pastors and its teachers centered on the truths Sometimes there are truths that would be a little more hard and difficult to teach on a given era, right? And this would be one of them right now in our era. Wait, you mean there's a judgment coming? Yes. You mean God the Father is going to judge every human being? Yes. It would be easy to not mention that. But it's true. It's clearly biblical. Each of us, living and dead. So what does that mean? That means the day Jesus comes back, there will be a judgment, and there will be some living, and some who have previously died, and there will be a judgment. And what's he going to ask? Question number one. What did you do with Jesus, my son? Well, I surrendered to him. I lived my life for him. I took, uh, I believed and I took what he did on the cross for me. And what's crazy about the judgment, we know, we know how it comes out. Every single human, guilty. Guilty, 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 guilty. But followers of Christ, exonerated, set free, not guilty. Why? This is the good news. This is the good news. It's right there, that cross. Jesus died on a cross. So you and me, although we're guilty, could be exonerated and not guilty. That's the judgment. What does Orchard believe? The Apostles' Creed. Now, I'm an activist. Uh, I like to move around. When I was isolated with COVID and stayed home for like six or seven, eight days, and then I did start wearing a mask and everything, uh, that isolation is hard on me. I, I, I'm on the move. I like to keep moving around and doing things. Some of you are like me. So in, when it comes to church, it's really important that we believe the truth. But then instantly I have the question, but what are we going to do? What are we going to do? with our time and our talents and our prayers and our money. What are we going to do? Okay, we believe the truth. What are we going to do? And that's where the mission statement comes in. This is what we're going to do. And I think we have a slide of the mission statement. Helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. Where did this come from? It actually didn't come out of the Bible. Well, in a way it did. I'll point that out in a minute. Uh, Ten years ago about, 
we wanted to reword, not change, but reword the mission statement. So I sat on a team, led by Jeff Mickey. I sat on a team with six or seven of us. We had church town meetings. We, had, uh, we met with the board and the staff, uh, the people who had been in the church a long time and the people who were brand new to the church. And we came up with these words for what God has been doing here for more than 50 years. After we hired a planting pastor 50-some years ago, do you know the second staff we hired? A college director to have an office at UNI. This is not new for us. This is what we've been doing. It's been God's assignment for us for 50 years. Helping next generations. Now, let's talk about that. When we first put those words out, people got a little upset about that. They thought what we were saying is helping teenagers. No. This is a direction of focus. Actually, my dad is still alive. He's 94 and a half years old. Who's his next generation? Me. I am not a teenager. <laughs> Who's my next generation? My children and my grandchildren, and one day when they have children, right? It's a direction of focus. And what other direction would we feel like God gave us when we felt like putting a college staff on UNI's campus, the first one there, representing a local congregation? Helping next generations. It's a focus. It's a direction. And for Lynn, my wife and I, it's the direction we want our church to have. We want to be looking at who's coming next. Helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus. Two different things, right? Encounter is when you meet him personally. It's when you realize someplace he's real. It happens at camps. It happens on caravan. It happens at youth groups. It happens on Sunday morning. For a lot of people in our church, it's happened during communion. It's like, now I know God is real. I encountered the living Jesus. He's actually alive. Encounter, but that's not enough. That, that's the savior part, rescuer. Hey, I met him. But then there's the follow part. I'm going to bend the knee to him and try to please him. Encounter and follow. Jesus, by the way, that's the name that divides, right? You can talk about God all day because people very easily put their own definitions on God. But you name Jesus, that's a time and a place and a savior and a rescuer and a Lord and a leader. Jesus. That's why it has to be in there. Helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus. And then when we wrote this, we've gotten better and better at this over 50 years, I feel like, to bless a broken world. Bless a broken world. We live in a world that's broken. And we need our time, energy, money. Remember in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a big part of why we're here. That's a big part of why the church exists. We get to do a little bit. It'll never be completely fixed, but we get to do a little bit of fixing the world. And by the way, it's what next generations are looking for. They're looking for a church that's out to fix the world in the name of Jesus. That's who we want to be. It's a third way. Uh, so scripturally, just let me uh, give you a couple places where this comes from. Uh, Luke 2.52, 52. 
And Jesus grew up in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus, he, he wasn't born complete. You know, he grew up through stages just like next generations do. And he grew up uh, intellectually and he grew up uh, physically in stature and he grew up in favor with God, which is spiritually, and he grew up in favor with man, which is socially. So he grew up in all those ways and mature. Just like our children in uh, the Sunday morning program this morning, they're growing up right now. And in our homes and in Sunday school, they're just growing up. And the next verse uh, that was one of the foundations, I am the gate. This is Jesus. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, Satan, comes to only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What happens when we get life to the full? We turn around and love other people. And uh, I just want to say, uh, from my perspective, uh, we're taking really positive steps towards the mission. A couple stories. I was at Chaos this week teaching. And uh, 250 junior high kids in the Nazareth gym. By the way, that's another thing. The way we partner with Nazareth for years and years and years is such a statement, next generation kind of statement, because next generation doesn't want churches that are all isolated. They want, why can't the church of Jesus work together? So our partnership with Nazareth, and in the gym, 250 kids, and I watch the musicians, and some of them are kids, and then as I taught, they just listen so deeply. And then they go and be in small groups. And on Sunday morning, we're not back to the size we were, but they are. And uh, same with Big House and all that. Uh, Allie Parrish is the leader and CEO of our local Habitat for Humanity. And uh, before I got COVID, I was going to do a two-day leadership retreat with their leaders. So I met with Allie. And I said, Allie, I need to know what's going on here if I'm going to encourage the leaders and all this. And she was telling me, and then she stopped and took a breath and said, Dave, I need to thank you and Orchardale Church. I said, well, why? And she said, well, you know, you do the builds, like we're doing this Saturday, and you do all that. But she said, what I really learned from you was how to minister to a neighborhood. She said, actually, the first time she ever went to Christian Community Development Association, she went with us. And she said, I learned that you don't just put up a house, you like put in neighbors. And neighboring is really important. And I learned that you just don't put any kind of house on a property, you put a house that matches the neighborhood. And she said, we have learned so much from us and our work in Walnut, but also from Christian Community Development Association. She said, thank you. That's a part of this, right? Let's go back to the mission. Um, Oh, helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world, whether it's a neighborhood or a city or an immigration system or whatever it is. We get to be uh, some part of that. Uh, one of the questions kids who come to our youth groups have is, are you guys going to love me whether I believe in Jesus or not? That's an honest question. It's actually a good question. And the answer is, 
We don't love people because of what they believe. We love people because we've received God's love, and that's what you do. You love people. Jesus said, love your neighbors and your enemies. Well, these kids aren't our enemies. They just haven't believed yet. So December 10th, this last December, I got a text from a kid I haven't heard from in more than 30 years. First, I got a voicemail, and then I texted him back, and his voicemail was, Dave, my name is Mike. I'm not going to say his last name. My name is Mike, and uh, I don't think you remember me, but I was in your, high your small group in high school for two years, and I was an atheist, and I was in your face every week. And he said, now I'm raising my family in the church because I'm a follower of Jesus. And I just want you to know that. So I texted him back right away. I said, Mike, his last name, I, I know who you are. I remember you really well. <laughs> you see, a lot of what we do to plant seeds. Oh, and then he texted back and said, Dave, I never could convince you to be an atheist. <laughs> and you never convinced me to be a follower of Christ either, which was true. But he said, God has used those meetings in my life all these years later to help me come to Christ. Sometimes in Big House, we have kids in the back who barely want to listen. And sometimes people think we should kick them out. Never. Never. Because they're listening some and they're here for some reason. So as long as they don't distract, people get to listen. Some of you are barely listening right now. I mean, you're good at looking like you are. <laughs> we have a God who gives people choices. And that's who we're going to be as a church. People have to decide for themselves when they're ready to be encountered by Jesus and when they're ready to follow. That's just who we are. Um, uh, one, I, yeah, a speaker is never supposed to do what I'm doing right now at a brand new topic at the end in the last minute. <laughs> I know I'm breaking the speaker rules. I was just thinking about this. We as a church are getting recommitted re and re-clear about our center, but you might need to do that in your family because churches sometimes drift and families sometimes drift and they give their attention to things that aren't really their mission or their core. And so I just challenge you. As you I hope you're more excited about the church and who we are and who we're going to be and who we're not going to be, but I just challenge you. Think about this year. In your family, do you need a little more clarity about who you're going to be and what you're going to give your effort and time to? Ah, maybe you do. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, oh, wait, I can't pray. I'm sorry. We have to say the Apostles' Creed together. <laughs> sorry, God. Uh, <laughs> okay, We're, stand up. We're going to say the Apostles' Creed.
And for those of you who are new to this, you know, try to keep up. Those of you who the words have changed slightly because of vocabulary, you know, make the change. Okay, let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray. God, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for Jesus who lived his life to show us who you are. Thank you for the fellowship and community we get to have on a Sunday morning as we're here in this place. Thank you for the friends, for the acquaintances, for your Holy Spirit who is here. Help us live well for you today and tomorrow and in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name, amen.